0: Refuel with new Synergy Gasoline. Developed in the same ExxonMobil research lab as F1 Fuels, new Synergy Gasoline has been through and passed some of the most stringent tests ever developed, making it Exxon and Mobil's most tested fuel ever. Synergy Gasoline is engineered with seven key ingredients, including dual detergents to help keep your engine cleaner. New Synergy Gasoline, only available at Exxon and Mobil. Energy lives here. Visit exxon.com, that's exxon.com, or mobile.com, that's mobil.com, for more information. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh, and I'm a staff writer for TheRinger.com, joined,
1: as I often am,
0: by my fellow Ringer writer, Michael Bauman. Michael, I'm glad you could be here.
1: Hi Ben, I'm very excited to talk to you about Tim Tebow this week. Well, oh,
0: why wouldn't you be excited to talk about Tim Tebow? Today is Tim Tebow tryout day. Somewhere between 15 and 20 teams Are congregating in Los Angeles Watch Tim Tebow Former Heisman winner Who washed out of the NFL After a few seasons Try to prove that he deserves a place In professional baseball If you'll forgive a one segment excursion Into first take territory We're going to talk about Tebow's baseball skills With someone who knows Major league pitcher David Ardsma Who's been pitching to Tebow can give us a scouting report on the sport's 29 year old prodigal son, which is a reference that Tim Tebow would probably appreciate. But before we talk about Tebow, the longest of Major League long shots, we're going to talk about a player who's already made it Yankees rookie catcher Gary Sanchez, who has been the best player in baseball in August, and as I wrote today at the ringer.com, has had probably the hottest hot streak. Of any rookie in the several decades covered by -by play-by-play data Sanchez went one for four last night with one measly single Maybe cooling off slightly But before that he hit 11 home runs in 15 games Setting a record for the fastest player to 11 career home runs And has almost single-handedly helped the Yankees stay on the periphery of the pennant race Even though they traded many of their best players at the deadline Sanchez has been a top prospect for several years But he's just now getting an extended opportunity To show why he was so highly touted for so long And he's still only 23 years old So to talk about where Sanchez has been, where he is, where he's going, we're welcoming in Josh Paul, a major league catcher in his own right with nine years of big league experience, who joined the Yankees as a minor league manager in 2009, later worked for the team as a pro scout, and last season transitioned to the new role of catching coordinator, which gave him a chance to work extensively with Gary Sanchez. Josh, thanks for coming on. Thank you. So I know your responsibility is teaching catchers how to catch, not teaching them how to hit like peak berry buns for a month, but... I have to start by asking about the offense. Earlier this month, Sanchez was asked why he was hitting so well, and he crammed cliches into three consecutive sentences. He said, right now I'm not thinking too hard at the plate. I'm just going out there to put a good swing on the ball. Fortunately, good things are coming out. Good Bull Durham-style responses. Can you do any better than that? Can you explain to us what has gotten into Gary Sanchez? Well can i
2: counter with a question why does it have to be something more than
0: that well i guess it doesn't you know he's he's hit his whole career at at every level really but the degree to which he has hit over the past month or so is really unprecedented for a rookie i don't know if there's something special going on that you can pinpoint or if this is just one of those runs that a guy gets into for no discernible reason, but as long as it lasts, he is just locked in.
2: Right. Well, I mean, approach wise, I'd say that he's learned some discipline in his in his work habits. When I had him in, I had him in 2010 in Staten Island for I want to say three weeks or so when I was managing, and I'd seen him a few times in between there and and now. But uh, he used to have you know kind of basically home run derby in BP, and uh, you know he's you know matured over the last couple of years and really worked on, you know, the right swing and the right approach and uh, really refining that stuff. Um, So overall, I would, you know, credit his work habits for his consistency. But back to that bigger question I posed, um, and I haven't looked at any of this stuff, but uh, he really is off to an unbelievable start. Um, But if this happened in the middle of the season and it got off to a bad start, would we be saying the same thing?
0: Right, it definitely helps. I think that this was kind of the the first look we'd gotten at him this season. He was up very briefly earlier in the year, but the fact that he's come out of the gate like this probably does enhance it a bit, but even so to hit as many home runs in one short span of time as he has it. He went two for four with a double on Sunday and that brought his slash line down, which is not something yeah. that you usually say. <laughs> about everybody was
2: like mad at him. <laughs> They're all mad at him. Like, why didn't you hit another home run?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you
2: know, overall, obviously he's off to an amazing start, a historic start, you know, and it's pretty awesome for us to watch it happen. But as far as him just seeing the ball and, just trying to put a good swing on it. I really, you know, and I'm a defensive guy, but I really think that there is something to it that when you're working the right way, uh, that when the game starts, there's less on your mind and you can react to the baseball. And it's really kind of cool to watch him handle himself in this situation and not getting, not be taken away by all the 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 press and all the, and all the things that are being said about him. He's, he's keeping a really focused approach and it's kind of cool as a guy that's worked with him on that approach, not offensively, but overall, to watch him do that.
1: And I'm sort of having trouble figuring out how to ask this because we haven't seen anything like this from a rookie from a catcher at the beginning of his career, but when a guy's on a a hot streak where he's you know hitting four hundred and slugging eight hundred, you know, do you have any experience about, you know, what that's like, what the ball looks like in a, a situation like that, or have you seen this in one of your teammates? How does everybody sort of around the team react to something like this?
2: I've never been that hot um but you know there were times in my career where we got you know I got into the zone as they like to call it and when you're in when you're in that place you know it does really feel like everything slows down and you see the ball um and you know your barrel just kind of finds its way to the center of the ball and and you hit it really hard almost every time and it's it's really an amazing feeling and you know he is in one of those stretches the difference between him and and myself, I would say, besides all the obvious, you know, tools and you know, strength and body type and all that other stuff, is that when I was going in and out of those types of things, I would say it was random because I didn't have a focused approach to my work. I was just kind of out there hitting. And Gary's really worked to have that approach, especially in his daily work and his getting his routine down. And uh, I think it's paid off a lot. And you know, the last two years working with him. I've seen him get off to slow starts offensively um, in double A last year and triple A this year, so I, much slower than this one, obviously in the big leagues mm-hmm. and pick up as the season went on. And, you know, part of that's being in the rhythm of the season. and But that seems to be his trend as well. But I would attribute it to the work he's done. And, you know, statistically, he's not going to be a 400 hitter for his whole career, but uh, he's going to be a really good one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. I mean, mean, there's no reason to think he won't continue to hit. Obviously, he'll cool down at some point. Might be a good hitter, just not an otherworldly one. So if you do have that approach, then how do you get into and out of this sort of zone? Because the stats would say that it's unpredictable, that even if you've been hitting lately, that run might end really at any time. I don't know if that's also the player's perspective, but how does it happen? Do you wake up one day and say, oh, the magic dust wore off, I'm not feeling it anymore? Do you get into some bad habit and then you realize that you've lost whatever stroke you had during that streak? How do you get into and out of those kinds of periods?
2: I think some, some of it is random. Statistically speaking, if you're looking at things, you know, in the, in the test tube, there is no rhyme or reason to any of it. Part of it is how we calculate successes and failures. So, you know, there's obviously, if you get a hit, it could be a soft, weak, lucky hit. Or you could make an out that's a really hard line drive out. Statistically, one's a failure, one's a success. But I think from a hitter's standpoint, uh, if he's focused on the approach, the line drive out is a success and the, you know, let's say the broken bat lead or hit is more of a failure that he'll go back and try to change something for the next swing or pitch or at bat or whatever. Uh, whereas, you know, if he just finished uh, hitting a line drive out, there's really nothing he should change. So I think part of that is how we label those successes and failures. But from a hitter standpoint, and, you know, if you talk to hitting coaches about this too, you'll see or you'll hear them talk about, A guy, he's about to get hot. You know, they'll—they're the ones down there working with him every day in the cage, and they see how they're working and how their mechanics are, how they're how they are emotionally. I mean, that's something that statistics misses on entirely because there's no way to really quantify it. He's having a bad day. Got in a fight with his wife. You know, he got in a fender bender on the way to the ballpark. His kid is sick. Whatever else it is, any of those types of distractions can take you away from what's going on in the game, and as you guys have probably written about. They only have four tenths of a second to react to a fastball, um, and anything distracting that in your mind, especially emotionally, can take away from that. Less time you have to react to it, um, less likely you are to square it up, hit it on the barrel for hard contact, et cetera, et cetera. So none of that stuff can be captured. But the hidden coaches are the ones that uh, that do the daily work with them, that know how they're feeling, that know how they're swinging, that know what their frustration levels are. The comfort levels, all that stuff. Those guys are usually the ones that can kind of feel, if you will, good stretches coming, and also be able to say, hey, this guy, he might be headed for a downturn. And while they're working to obviously keep that from happening with you know drills and video and whatever else, sometimes you just you just can't stop it. <laughs> it's just human nature.
1: And tracking that. Just going back to you know differentiating between the batting average and having good at bats and getting the the bat on the ball. How formal is the tracking of those quality at-bats? Is it just, you know, the hitting coach just sort of takes notes and says, oh, you know, he saw a lot of pitches today, or is there, like, a, a spreadsheet somewhere that somebody plugs in? You know, he hit the hit two line drives, even though he went 0 for 4.
2: I'm not in the hitting department, but I do generally, you know, um, know what different organizations do. Um, first, obviously, there's a lot more technology these days, and we can track hit velocities and mm-hmm. – you know, launch angles and all that other stuff, miss rates, chase rates, all that other stuff. So there is a, as a, I guess as an industry, we're getting better at tracking at what a good at bat is. But, you know, I, I think every organization has, you know, some sort of note-taking, I guess, game report kind of thing. You know, Josh Ball looked terrible on three sliders tonight. He's pulling off, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, spreadsheet that they can kind of track that
0: stuff so i want to ask about the catching because this sort of hitting would be impressive even if sanchez were DHing, even if he were playing left field but the fact that he's doing it while catching and based on the best stats we have catching pretty effectively makes it all the more impressive so you mentioned that you saw him briefly way back in 2010. I assume you started working with him more in earnest last season. But can you talk about how he's evolved as a catcher? What he was, how raw he was when you first found him?
2: Well, when he, let's see. 2010 is when I first saw him. I want to say in spring training, but I know for sure he got to us in extended spring training and uh, got to Staten Island at the you know, like the last three weeks or a month of the season, and it was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was really ugly. He had a real hard time catching the ball at all, much less catching it cleanly. Um, and he struggled, you know, it's, he's a big man and he was a big man even then and had flexibility issues. Um, he's always had a great arm, but he didn't, you know, release times and, and accuracies and things were, it was kind of rough, uh, wild and raw. Uh, but that was when he was what, 17, <laughs> however long ago that was. So, uh, you know, we're six years down the line and, um, We're really impressed at how he's developed and really, you know, kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier about, you know, approach and and work 2015 is when Gary Sanchez turned his career around, especially defensively. He showed up ready to work in spring training and has, and I can honestly say he's become the hardest worker I've ever seen, especially in catching. And, you know, I've been around a lot of really hard workers, but this guy, something lit a fire under him and, uh, he really started working at his craft. It's really impressive to me, you know, to kind of see what raw talent can be like when those types of, or or that type of work ethic is applied to it. And, we're We're just starting to see what it is, and it's pretty awesome from our perspective.
1: One thing that makes Sanchez an interesting prospect just from a narrative perspective is how long it's not that he's taken a long time to get to this point. It's how much of it has happened in the public eye. like he made headlines just when he signed um signed for that three million dollar bonus, and you know, you had him in the New York Penn League when he was the same age as most high school seniors, and he's just spent so much of that time developing where everybody can see him. What does that do to, to public expectations? You know, what does that tell you when you throw a kid into a competition that's consistently three or four years older than he is?
2: Well, I, I don't think there's a broad answer for that because uh, it's, you know, everybody's, they're all wired differently, psychologically, emotionally, you know, what their background's like. So I don't think there's one answer for that. But as far as, you know, catchers in general, I will say that of all positions on the field, they take the longest to develop. And, you know, if you have a, a really highly touted, you know, let's say shortstop or left fielder or something, and, you know, it's not unheard of for guys to get into the big leagues at 19 years old, 20 years old, whatever it is, and excel a lot more rare for, for quality frontline catchers to do that because there's so much more to that position than, you know, hitting and throwing or just blocking and throwing and, and receiving it right and, you know there's also the mental aspect of the game which is it can be daunting for for young players mm-hmm. because uh young catchers because once you get to the big leagues as a catcher you know it's almost like all right you're the leader now go and you're learning every new hitter you're learning an entirely new pitching staff oh and you're on the game of the week uh, sunday night baseball so every little mistake that would be natural for let's say a you know, somehow a catcher sneaks up there at 21 years old, 22 years old. Now that's under the microscope. And there's a lot less tolerance in the major leagues for learning curves because your season's on the line. You know, the top teams in baseball salary-wise are putting $200 million out there. And, you know, you're calling the wrong pitches. They're not handling the staff right. You know, they going, hey, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, it, it takes longer for catchers to develop. So, you know, we're talking about, I mean, really, Gary's, but 23 and a half or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a a full six years of doing it. And the funny thing for me is everyone's like, well, what took so long? like, he's 23 in the big leagues, calling good games and receiving well and blocking well and and throwing well. And, you know, most guys are coming on the scene later on, like 26, 27, where they finally come out of that backup role and into uh, a starting role. So I think it's, you know where some people are saying, Hey, why did it take so long for Gary? I'm like, in my mind, he's ahead of the curve because he's 23 and doing all the things. So, you know, we've got another catcher in our system, Kyle Higgis who you call him a late bloomer himself, but you know, I think he's 26 and has been with us since he was 18 years old. Um, And now he's finally, you know, his mind and his body are kind of catching up to each other and he's clicking too. So catchers take a little longer and it's, but if you're doing it the right way, I think
1: it's worth the wait. Yeah, and you touched on something that I think presents a, a really interesting developmental challenge, not only for uh, young catchers, but young catchers who who have that potential to be an impact hitter as well. Which is that it's not like other uh, up the middle positions where it's just, you know, does he have the athleticism to do this? There's so much more that goes into catcher than shortstop or or center field, so that takes longer to develop. But at the same time, you need to challenge the bat. And you see amateur catchers like Bryce Harper's the the extreme version of this where the Nationals just said, the bat's too advanced. We're not going to wait for uh, the glove to catch up. We're just going to put him in the outfield. And obviously there are other considerations. But as a, a member of a coaching staff, You know, you're teaching him how to call a game, how to receive the ball, and you know maybe his bat's more advanced at one point, or with somebody else, the gloves more advanced. You know, how do you come together as a staff, and or maybe even as just as a coach individually, to try to make sure you're developing all parts of his game in such a way that one doesn't lag behind?
2: Uh, Well, we can't always control which tools for a player develop at what pace. Mm -hmm. So some of those things, you know, developmentally you know, physically and and mentally developmentally, uh, they arrive at different times for different players. But, you know, we we don't just do it on, uh, one guy doesn't make the call for us. You know, it's just all the coordinators talk about all the different parts of every player's development. And, you know, we try to keep it level appropriate while still challenging them, right? You know, so we don't want a guy, you know, hitting 400 for an entire season or something like that because he's, you know, in, in low A ball we do want to challenge them but other things are taken into consideration and uh we try to you know catching wise we try to you know there's some level specific type things that we try to you know keep track of. But like I said, it's not always in your control. So guy might be a really great hitter but he really needs to learn how to receive a block or throw at a lower level. It's like well he needs to keep continuing that and uh and doing that at that level perhaps. So you know we do our best but it doesn't always work out that way. And really you know, not every player not all their tools, you know, blossom, if you will. <laughs> so, you know, the perfectly rounded player isn't out there. You know, it's, everybody's better at something than something else. And, you know, as an organization, you're, you're always looking for the highest total value of your players on the field to give you the best chance to win a championship at the end of the season.
0: And you mentioned the expectations and the scrutiny. And for a guy who was on the Baseball America Top 100 list five times by the time he turned 23 that has to weigh on you to some extent, I would think, even if those expectations are unfair and, and people aren't realizing how young you are, even though you've been in the national radar for some time. Do you think there were times when that got to him? Did you sense ever that he was pressing because of his urgency to fulfill these expectations?
2: Um, I don't know. I didn't feel that the last two years, which is really when I was working with him. Because when I was in pro scouting, I, I didn't really have... Any input into it i was you know doing a totally different job so i don't i can't really speak to those years um but the last two years it didn't seem i didn't hear him talking about any of it he was really focused on what he needed to do to develop rather than what people were saying or writing about it Mm -hmm. which you know which is the approach i would tell every player to do you know the things in the media are really for fans and if players pay too much attention to them whether it's praise or criticism, that kind of stuff can distract you from what you need to do to actually perform. And, you know, I, don't, I didn't sense any anything like that going on with Gary um, the last two years anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that he really rededicated himself to defense last year. And there were reports earlier in his career about discipline problems or motivation problems. And do you have any sense of what the origin of that was? Was it just that he was so good at hitting early on that it was hard to talk himself into working on something he wasn't immediately as good at? Or is it just something as simple as, you know, your brain is growing and maturing and mentally and emotionally, you're not necessarily where you're going to end up when you're still a teenager. So do you have any sense of what the cause of the the Renaissance last season was?
2: I don't uh, and I can't really speak to those, again, those four years when I was scouting. Yeah. You know, I had heard things that, you know, he wasn't working the right way and, and, and those things. But I do know that what he did in studying in 2015 was truly remarkable. I mean, we're talking about a guy, I came into Trenton, uh, it was earlier in the season and they had just played in, the night before they played an 18 inning game, you know, extra inning game and he caught all 18 innings. And the, uh, catching coach there, Michelle Hernandez, told me that, after the game, I don't know, it was like one in the morning or something. He was in the weight room riding the exercise bike, getting his cardio in after catching 18 innings, you know, always doing extra work that wasn't hitting. Hitting, <laughs> getting extra swings is fun. Taking extra balls off a machine in the dirt, blocking and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Catching wise isn't always fun. And he was doing more than anybody I've ever seen because he wanted to be a good catcher. And he knew that he had to work to do it. And really, that's what it comes down to. Good catchers work. The guys that aren't as good, they don't work. It's pretty simple in my eyes.
0: And early on, there was a lot of external skepticism that he would put in that work, that even if he did put in that work, it would be as effective as it would have to be. And just unfortunately for him, because of the timing, he got a lot of Jesus Montero comps. And so I wonder whether internally, there was the same sort of skepticism. I think in public statements, the team always maintained that he could be a catcher or they were committed to him as a catcher. But internally, early on, when, as you mentioned, he was pretty far off from where he needed to be, were there fairly serious doubts that he would get to the point where he is now?
2: Well, um, I guess the best way to put it is this. In not just Gary's career, but in all baseball players' careers, in all their careers, it comes down to whether or not they're willing to do what it takes. And that's a question for all players. Um, whether they're really highly touted prospects like Gary was forever or whether it was Kyle Higashioka whose name no one has spoken about for eight years. They have to answer that question uh, for themselves. And if there were skeptics in the Yankees organization, Gary proved them wrong and he did the work. But I do know that if he didn't do the work uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now,
0: and the stats certainly say obviously the the cot stealing percentages are always there he has the arm but the stats that are available in more recent years, published at Baseball Prospectus, say that he's also a, a really strong receiver, that he's added over a win's worth of value just by influencing umpires or, or presenting the pitch in such a way that it's more likely to be called a strike, however you want to say that. And, and that's been the case over his last few stops in the minors and also in the majors. Is that something that was taught? Is that innate? What sort of drills did you and Gary do? to
2: help work on that ability? Really, it was the way we approached it was we brought it to his attention that, you know, this is something we value as an organization. And uh, it's something that, you know, baseball in general is starting to value a whole lot more. You know, to put it very simply, it's catching the ball the right way. And uh, basically, it was us as a catching coach staff, if you will, uh, pointing that out to him and, you know, getting him going on drills. Um, And it wasn't just, you know sitting in front of a uh, a pitching machine and catching a million baseballs. Um, A lot of it was getting him in the weight room, doing a lot of extra stretching, leg stabilization exercises, things like that. And it took a while for him to kind of figure that stuff out. But again, he didn't just say, I can't do this. I quit. I want to be a DH or a first baseman or whatever else. Even when he was having a hard time with it, uh, he kept doing the work. And really it was, Michel Hernandez, who was his catching coach in, in Trenton last year, really got that process going. And uh, Jason Brown, who's our AAA catching coach, those two guys really worked hard on this part of his game with him. And, you know, we're always talking about adjustments and daily drill work and things like that. And uh, it really paid off for him. But I think the most important part of it was him realizing that i got to fight for every pitch. And uh, And he's done that to his credit he's not getting up on pitches
1: anymore. You've got special insight into this process because you went through it yourself uh, one day and how much has the, you know, we know how much the game has changed sort of from how we understand it externally and, and how we evaluate it. And, you know, Ben talked about the framing runs and, you know, that wasn't around in the mid nineties, but how much has it changed from a coaching perspective? Like how much, what is, what is Gary getting that, uh, that you weren't when you were coming up through the minor leagues, or is it, or to some extent, is this just baseball, and it's we're still uh, teaching it a pretty similar way?
2: You know, when I was playing uh, in the late '90s and the uh, and the 2000s, we talked about you know catching the ball the right way. But most of the time, if you could hit 40 homers, nobody cared. <laughs> Basically what it came down to. But there was also, uh, there were those of us, probably mostly I would say the backup catchers, uh, the guys who couldn't hit 40 homers. We were we were trying to do the right thing and catch the ball the right way. And, you know, there's obviously much more feedback as to how well you're doing nowadays, you know, with, you know, the baseball prospectus numbers. And, you know, I think there's, well, there's a couple other sites that kind of run that stuff. But um, now there's just more attention put on it, I think, because of that feedback. So, um, but as far as the techniques and stuff, I mean, it's not really that much different. It's just, you know, taking care of details, really. And, you know, it's not like we're teaching any kind of special techniques or anything like that. It's like, just catch the ball the right way. (laughs) It's actually kind of boring.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, lastly, have you talked to Gary at all during this run? Do you have any sense of how he's feeling as he's riding this high?
2: I just say hi. The text here or there whatever, but, um. What's impressed me is, going back to what you said earlier about the Crash uh, the Davis quote, mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, I really enjoy reading what he's saying or hearing it in an interview or whatever, um, because hopefully he's learned, you know, from our player development system that winning is what matters most. It's not about the player, it's about the team. And, um, you know, I think going back to what we talked about earlier about being in the zone and so on and so forth, you can take a lot of pressure off yourself as a player if you're thinking about the team. For me, it's easy to see that that's really what he's doing right now is he wants to go out and win games. It's not about hitting home runs for him and or throwing runners out. It's about being at least one run ahead of the other team at the end of the day. And it's kind of cool to, to listen to him talk about that.
0: Yeah, well, when you hit whatever it is, 11 home runs in 15 games, your goals and the teams are pretty closely aligned. He basically has been a baseball team unto himself over the last few weeks. So it's been fun to watch. and. As far as I'm concerned, the catching coordinator can take full credit. So congratulations on the part you played in getting him to this point and thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks guys. All right, before we continue to the Tebow talk with David Artsma, let's pause for a minute for a message from our sponsors, starting with SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites wants to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. My mom always asks me if I can get her into baseball games because I write about baseball, I cover baseball. Surely I must be able to get other people into baseball games. It doesn't work that way. The press pass is non-transferable, but I can go to SeatGeek. Everyone is allowed to do that. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. With SeatGeek, you'll never need to waste time checking prices on other ticket sites. SeatGeek does that for you by pulling all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. you're familiar with the concept of search engines, you want to find a certain website, you don't look at every single website One by one, you go to Google, you search them all at the same time. SeatGeek works the same way but with tickets. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. This is a sabermetrically sound approach to purchasing tickets. And best of all, Ringer MLB show listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, and enter the promo code. Code Ringer MLB SeatGeek will send you twenty dollars after you made your first purchase. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter the promo code Ringer MLB today. And I also want to introduce New Synergy Gasoline, Exxon and Mobil's most tested fuel ever. I know you may have been introduced before, perhaps at the start of this very same podcast, but we're leaving nothing to chance here. You must meet Synergy Gasoline because it's been through and passed some of the most stringent tests ever developed. Developed in the same Exxon Mobile research lab as F1 fuels, New Synergy Gasoline is engineered by chemists who understand the science behind keeping engines clean and know the complexities of modern car technology. That's why it's formulated to keep modern fuel injectors clean while still working great on older engines. Synergy is an ageist. All engines are welcome. New Synergy is also engineered with seven key ingredients, each with its own unique function, to help make Synergy Exxon and Mobil's best fuel ever, including dual detergents to help clean your engine and corrosion inhibitor, which is designed to help prevent rust from threatening your engine and its performance. So refuel with new Synergy gasoline today. Only available at the almost 11,000 Exxon and Mobil stations across the U.S. Energy lives here. Visit exxon.com, that's exxo or mobile.com, that's M-O-B-I-L.com, for more information. All right, our next guest, like our previous guest, has nine years of big league experience. David Ardsma pitched for the Braves last season, spent time in AAA this season, and is currently a free agent, and one of the things he has done since he last pitched professionally is pitch to Tim Tebow, and then write about pitching to Tebow in a blog post for Baseball Essential. Hey, David, how are you doing? What's going on? So my initial inclination when I heard that Tim Tebow was trying to be a pro baseball player was to... Treat it the way I've treated most stories about Tim Tebow over the last several years Which is not to pay much attention And your story changed my mind At least enough to pay attention grudgingly for a little while and see what happens And you were actually pretty impressed with Tebow from facing him the first time And I gather that you've faced him since then So tell us how you came to find yourself on an almost empty field in Arizona Pitching to Tim Tebow
3: (laughs) Um, yeah, so so Chad Moore, his, his uh, hitting coach, um, he helped me out a lot last year when I was at for places to throw. Uh, when I changed all my training, he, he really helped me out, let me throw at his facility, and so we've become decently close since then, and, and when I heard, just like everyone heard, I was kind of blown away, kind of shocked that, you know, Tim was going <laughs> to try his hand at professional baseball, and so I heard Chad Moore was his hitting coach, so I immediately texted him, asked if I could come out and watch him hit or just to see it for myself and and uh chad asked if i'd been throwing and asked if i'd come out to throw to him and and i uh you know just obviously wanted to jump at that uh jump at that opportunity just to just to face him just to see it just to you know and and a little bit on my line just to show him what professional you know major league pitching looks like and and to uh, kind of maybe even a little bit put him in his place
0: yeah and so were you a big leap from anything he had seen recently i mean you were hitting 95 when you were pitching in atlanta last season and and maybe you were not quite in complete game shape when you faced him but still this is maybe a a step up certainly from the kind of kids you could find around a field or or a pitching machine or something so was this really a, a different class from what he had seen
3: previously so he had been um he'd been working a lot with chad obviously but um Steven Randolph, who pitched in the big leagues for for quite a few years, is the pitching coach at Chad Moeller's facility. So Steven had been throwing to him for, you know, however many months. Um, So he's actually been facing, you know, Steven hadn't been getting off the mound and dropping, you know, curveballs and stuff on him. But he's been seeing at least a major league arm, you know, maybe years away from the game, but he's been at least seeing something when I actually got out there and faced him, he, that was his second live batting practice. And so he had seen um, you know, the couple guys I know that pitched him the first time were actually they actually had some time in the big leagues. Um, not not a long time, but some time in the big leagues. So guys that weren't that aren't that far off. And I know, you know, one of my buddies who's been thrown to him, he's probably at least in my mind, you know, independent ball, maybe triple A level as it is. Um, you know, just had some injuries and just haven't really had that chance to give it a full comeback, but he's been throwing a lot, I know, and, and I've been playing catch with him and it actually looks pretty good. So he's thinking about trying to play some winter ball right now. But, um, so he's been facing some guys, some, some decent talent. But when I faced him, I was probably definitely, you know, and I've still probably been the most, uh, successful and probably the closest to the big leagues that he's faced yet
1: one thing you uh, said in your story uh, you had a line about everybody wanting a piece of him and you know he's faced you you know it's very easy to understand why pitchers would be lining up to to pitch to him to see what he's got but i was wondering if you had if you could articulate what exactly makes this an opportunity that or what would make you want to go out of your way to face him
3: well you know i, I mean i'll fully admit i've i've met i've met him before i've met um him one time before, and I was I was really impressed by him, and and you know I I am a Broncos fan at heart, so I don't have like this giant negativity towards him in, in general. But but you know the idea is that I I love when when people are passionate about baseball, I I love it, and, and those are people I want to be around. And and he seems like he's he's twenty nine years old and wants to give it a shot. I wanted to see if he if he really had that passion, if he really had that drive that. I know he has a work ethic, but is it really, is it about publicity or is it about becoming a major league player? And, and I, I really wanted to find that. I really wanted to know where he was at. And, um, and I kind of, you know, I, I, I like competing and, and at the time I wasn't, you know, I was just beginning to work on the off season. So, you know what is, it, it was giving me a chance to go out there and help someone I know while getting to compete and getting to find out if he really cares, if he really has that passion. And, and that's really what was that driving force for me.
1: And that's something that, I mean, the is this publicity or is this for real has been something that has floated around uh, even like the past couple of years for for Kibo getting football contracts. But you'll see this a lot with successful football players like Russell Wilson uh, or Brandon Whedon. Well, I guess Brandon Whedon's not that successful, but, you know, football players who had played a little bit of minor league baseball. And this is something that gets tossed around a lot. Like, you know, how good could this guy have been if he had, decide to play baseball instead of football and like what is your your sense of of tebow who didn't even play in college getting up against major league pitching
3: well you know major league pitching i don't know yet I, I you know that's one thing i think you know one thing um i think people jump out there and just assume you know you people forget that baseball's not like football it's not like basketball It's a little bit more like hockey but it's it, it's its own it's its own animal baseball you don't have to be like wake up and be a big leaguer like you do in football so you know, it's a minor league system, so he can have time. He can work out his problems, work through the kinks, and, and work through some stuff, which is pretty cool and it's pretty unique. So you can take guys and give them time where, don't get me wrong, like if if, if he was if I had to say if he's a big leader right now, absolutely not. But, you know, the, the, the cool thing is, is he's not that far away. He has the tools. You know, his power is is a plus power without a doubt. Like People are going to be blown away when they see some of him Tuesday when they when they show this. They're going to see his power on display without question. You know, it's just a matter of playing. You know, he just needs to play and, and get in the game. I, he's not that far off. He's definitely without a doubt, um, you know, a double-A player. I put him at right now. You know, he'll probably struggle at the beginning just because he's facing pitching and he hasn't done that in a long time. But it almost just seemed to like – like not a guy that hasn't played for 12 years, but it almost seems like a guy that always just has that skill, but just never just didn't have that opportunity. And, and I, and to continue with your, you know, kind of your question, I hope this gives players, you know, let's think about Tim maybe in high school or, or college. I guarantee you he was told by his football coach in high school and by football coaches of Florida, like you can't play baseball. You're focusing on football We need you. You could possibly be a Heisman trophy winner. So we need you to win national championships. And they said, we can't, you know, I guarantee they told him we can't let you play baseball at the same time. So I hope this gives, you know, I hope when he goes out there and he has really success on Tuesday and, and shows people to, you know, to maybe keep playing and not just give up because your coach tells you you can't play baseball, but to maybe stick with it because there are opportunities to play because talent in baseball doesn't just go away. But
1: you know, there's no part of you that is when you hear people talking about football players transferring back to, to baseball in their late twenties, you know, obviously he wouldn't be competing with you directly for a job, but there's no no part of you that, that sort of takes exception to the idea that, you know, somebody like that could just jump in and, and get a shot. I don't think um
3: I've got no problem with somebody, you know, the idea of just jumping in. One, the the cool thing I like about baseball is it's not really subjective. It's it's you go out there and you and you really have to know whether you're good or not. Like like you face a pitcher, and if you hit him, you hit him. If you don't, you don't. And and if you don't hit him, you're not good. If you do, you're great. So it's it's one of those cool things that you have to go out and perform. We can't judge you on your you know on a you know on a on a showcase and and then go out there and just give you the starting job and for the Yankees. You know you have to go and, and battle your way through a lot of levels. And so in my mind, I love it. I love when people are passionate about the game. I love when people want to play the game. And if anybody in any other sport wants to play, I welcome them with the opportunity. That doesn't mean that they're going to come out and just steal everybody's job. But I would love to face them and, and, and see what they got, too, because, man, we this sport needs as many good athletes as we can get. And, uh, and I, I, I'm all for it.
0: So set the scene the first time you faced him, how much— prep did you do did he know what was coming how many pitches did you throw
3: how did it go down exactly yeah so um so when when i went out there he took um he took a pretty extended batting practice before i actually faced him uh you know maybe maybe 20 minutes 30 minutes of just him you know normally normally batters only take about 10-15 minutes of batting practice you know per guy so it took a little longer than the normal hitter and then um so he had faced somebody right before me. I had prepared for about a week, but I had only taken about two weeks off from not throwing. So I, it didn't take me long to get right back into it. And so I went up there and, and did my normal like warm up, you know, with the catcher, talk to him, talk to the catcher about what I want to throw and then faced it like I would a hitter. Um, I did all my normal game routine. I went up and, and we didn't tell him anything that was coming. I threw all my pitches. Now my slider wasn't as tight as it normally would be, but uh, you know, just from not throwing a whole lot, but it was still pretty good. And then I just attacked him like I normally would, and like I normally would, a left, and um, I pitched him. And and uh, you know, the first time facing him, he, he struggled a little bit, but he wasn't that far off. So you mentioned a,
0: a few things in the story, but what are the tells you try to pick up on when you're watching a hitter? Maybe you've never seen before, never faced before. And if you don't have a a detailed scouting report, what are you seeing, either good or bad, that tells you immediately,
3: oh, this guy is raw, this guy is polished? Well, you know, the first thing I'm going to do, I mean, if I get an opportunity, I'm going to watch batting practice a little bit. Watch this Watch, Watch if it's smooth. Watch what they're trying to do. Tim has a lot of power, so you can tell he tries. He's trying to pull in, trying to use that power a little bit. So I'm going to understand. I'm going to probably try to stay away from the inside half of the plate because it really looked like he was trying to pull it. So I'm going to try to stay away from there, you know, try to set him up away more until I can get in on him. Um, until he starts going out there and chasing, then I'll go in and hammer him in. I'm watching where they stand. Uh, he stands a little bit like I kind of compare him to Mark Teixeira, a little power, you know, a little bit more on his back leg, but kind of a little bit wider stance. Slightly open, so there I can always I can also tell he's kind of looking for the ball again, a little in because he wants to kind of he's already got his body open to be able to see that pitch in. And then you know I'm watching each pitch, so if I throw a ball away, is he starting to look away? Is he starting to swing? Is is he late on the pitch? You know if he's late on the pitch, I'm going to try to bust him hard in. You know if he's early on the pitch, I'm going to try to slow him down, throw throw pitches down a little softer, a little slower. And I'm watching each pitch. I'm watching his reaction, too. I'm watching how he acts. If he gets frustrated with himself, then I'm going to throw it again. If he he just jumps right back in there after a bad swing, I'm going to throw it again because he didn't learn anything. If he takes his time and and adjusts his batting gloves and thinks about it, then I know the whole time, say I threw a slider down the dirt, I know the whole time right there he's, he's thinking, don't swing at the slider in the dirt. Don't make that mistake. See the ball down and let it go. So right there, I know I can bust something in or something up on him because that's the last you know he's looking for that pitch again. I'm, so I'm just trying to read everything and and you know I'm I'm trying to to watch him how he reacts to a pitch and then pitch to that instead of just pitching to a scouting important or just pitching to what my catcher is calling. I'm pitching to the the hitter because the hitter's telling me with his um with his body language and how he swings what he can and can't hit.
0: So, just based on your experience with him so far, what would you say is the weakness that he would have to work on, or or maybe the the most obvious vulnerability that pitchers would try to exploit once he gets into actual games, if he does?
3: Um, what you know, what it is, it, it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be the pitches really away. He does have a good plate discipline. I was really pretty surprised. Um, I would say off speed down away. It, it's, that's the one thing right now. It, it, that's but that's that's hard to cover regardless. but um, you know he he stays really good, centered in his body, but you know if you're throwing him away, he it doesn't look like he's going down to go get it. So sometimes he stays so centered that you can maybe you know pick him to death on that bottom corner and just let him um, just kind of you know dig his own hole by by not swinging at it. That's why I kind of notice if if a pitcher can maybe uh, back uh, back door sliders, backdoor, you know, you know, pit, off, off-suit pitches down and away, change-ups down and away, that's probably definitely the best pitch. Inside, he's really good. He's really fast bat, so stay away from there. Um, I haven't given him too many really good backfoot sliders yet, just based on my just not being good with it yet, you know, and my times facing him. But, um, you know, I, I imagine with how aggressive he is inside, if you get that backfoot slider, And you can probably take advantage of his aggressiveness.
1: And that was one thing that I thought was really interesting. And your story might be the only thing that I've actually read about Tebow, the baseball player, rather than the spectacle. And one of the uh, interesting insights was that he's like right up on top of the plate. And certainly he's a a huge dude. And, you know, maybe it it just looks like that. But, you know, what does that do for for him in terms of of plate coverage, in terms of where you want to pitch him? You know, you said it takes... Takes the inside half of the plate away from you. How exactly does it do that?
3: Well, it's difficult, especially when you have somebody that size, man. It's hard. Like, you're used to seeing, uh, you know, little guys get right up on the plate or, and are very rarely, you know, uh, you know, some guys, um, I'm trying to think of the, who's the hitter with, um, he was with the White Sox, big righty for a little while to always get hit in the elbow.
1: Carlos Quentin?
3: Yeah, Quentin. You know, Quinn's right on the plate, but his elbow's like over the plate. So, you know, for him, you know, it's hard. You have to pitch inside, but you can't because he takes away. So, and he might charge the man too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially if you're drinking, so watch yeah. <laughs> out. Um, you know, he he takes away the plate because he's on it, but his 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 front elbow isn't over the plate where it's you know where he's. It's almost like a hit me look, but it's almost like a where he's a little bit open, but his back leg is right o- right on that plate where it's like, hey, man, if you hit a, a heater on that inside corner, I'm perfectly right here to just drop the head on it. That's what it feels like, especially with his size. So with that, what well, you have you have to make sure that you pitch in off the plate to keep them off of that, maybe keep them a little off balance. So if you're going to go in, you've got to go in for a ball. You can't go in for a strike initially. And then you try to pitch away to try to get them to start fishing out there start looking, and then that's when you go back in for the strike. Or, you know, do right out of the gate, take advantage of that aggressiveness, that openness, and throw that back foot slider and try to get him into that swing mode. Because right when the hitter, you know, depending on how he reacts, but if you get that back foot slider down, really good back foot, he's going to be pretty pissed at himself that he swung at it. And that's when you can, you know, drop a heater at the same exact spot, because it's going to freeze him up, because the whole time he's thinking don't swing at that back foot. Crap. And then you straight and then it catches him. Then he's then he's completely lost. Then you can pretty much just throw an easy up there, do whatever you want, you're good.
0: And Thibaut's organized baseball experience was pretty brief, but if you read comments from his old coach or people who played against him or with him, you will see sort of I don't know if they're tall tales or true tales about his prodigious power and some of the balls he hit being farther than any other balls anyone had ever seen hit before. So what was the best example of Tebow power that you have witnessed personally?
3: Well, there was, so he, he, he did hit one home run off of me. It wasn't, it wasn't huge, uh, but no home run off of me has ever been big. I mean, come on. <laughs> They're all wall scrapers. Um, no, I, he hit one off of me. It was pretty impressive. I threw a down and in heater um, and he actually took it left center. And I was pretty impressed by that because I down and in, I don't get hit that way. I mean, very rarely, you know, usually I lead the ball over the plate like far off the plate and that's where they drive it that way. But, um, down and in, he took it up, you know, he took it left center and I was pretty impressed by that. But I saw a video of him, um, a sidearm righty going to him and they left the ball. It was like down, down and in. And he dropped the head on it and he killed it. And they showed me the video and I, dude, I, it was, it was huge. I have no idea. I could, I don't even want to like guess on a distance, but when they showed me where they thought it landed, it was, it was impressive, and, and all I know is, is you're gonna see something on Tuesday that's that's really really impressive on the power side, and he's definitely a plus power guy. There's no doubt about that.
1: Just sort of to to back out a little bit, you know, the, a lot has been made of how difficult it is to take essentially 10 years off from organized baseball to miss all that developmental time and then drop back into the game. And in fact, this is one thing that uh, you'll see people say about. Uh, why Michael Jordan was such a great athlete, and the ability to even hit 200 in in Double A was the was just so amazing. It and he was I think 30 years old, and Tebow's 29. So like this is the the kind of I guess leap that uh, Tebow would have to make in order to even have any kind of professional baseball career. Do you think that that that's in there? That this is the the kind of athlete that we're dealing with? That you know this is the you know something that's that's possible that he could even get that far up in. Uh, in organized ball,
3: so I think the difference in um, <clears throat> with baseball and, and almost every other sport is, or in, I guess maybe hockey, unless you know, or maybe basketball with shooting. I guess with and the quarterbacks, baseball is so hand-eye coordinated. It's 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 so it, we focus so much on the little tiny little details. Other than a lot of sports, you know, football is about so much about just power. So much you know, basketball so much just about. Aggressiveness or speed and quickness. Baseball, you need to have every element of the game to be able to play. And so when I start breaking down Tim and I start looking at his defense, I didn't see a whole lot defensively, just out of I didn't see many plays or anything, but it wasn't bad. It was fine. I never, I didn't see him mess any balls up. I actually saw him dive for a ball on a, a and it was a play to watch, but, you know, he dove and made the catch, no problem. His, so defensively, I can't really tell you. Throwing-wise, if you watch him throw, it's going to look a little funky. It's going to look like a quarterback with, like, at the very end, it's almost like he his arm slows down, Um kind of like a quarterback kind of casts the throw at the very last second. It looks like that. But if you just watch him throw, it looks funky. But if you watch the ball and not him, it's – I compare it right to Nick Marquekas. Not, like, extraordinary arm, but accurate. Mm-hmm. Every throw I saw was one hop to the bag the worst throw I saw was 10 feet away from the bag, from right field to home. Every ball was one hop right to the catcher's glove and it's adequate. It works. It's, it's not plus by any means, but it's, it's fine. It works. Speed wise. He's really, he's really fast. He ran a 60 and it was really good time. I don't want to tell because they haven't said anything. His camp hasn't said times. And so I don't want to say anything, but it was really fast. I, I saw how far it was too. And I didn't want to run that distance. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it didn't look fun. Uh, power wise, obviously, like I said, plus power. And then, you know, the one thing I, like I said, is, is probably that average, probably the, the balls in the way, whether you just take it and go to left field and no problem or, you know, that's still going to be the last thing that comes. And that's probably going to be his biggest negative aspect in my mind is just the, just the standard back control, you know, where somebody can sit there in the cage and just pepper left field. Without a doubt, because I feel like he, he's got that power and he wants to use it. So he wants to pull a little bit. And so I think he, that's the one, the last thing that's going to come is just that back control and just be able to put the ball kind of where you want it when you want to. But for me, if you're, if you're signing guys, you're signing guys on tools and I say he's got four tools without a problem, you know, the throwing, you know, maybe, so he maybe has three tools that are there without a problem locked in and, and then you know, the one, you're just going to have to get him in the system. So I don't want to say he's over to biglier, but I guarantee he can probably jump right into double A and battle and play without a problem and do a lot better than 200.
2: I'll tell you that much.
0: I would think that the uh, pitch recognition would be the big problem. Even if your skills are intact, even if you had the raw talent, it seems like there's no substitute for the decade of seeing thousands and thousands of pitches that, your opponents will have seen and being able to pick up on the movement and identify the pitch type right out of the hand. That seems like something that having played two years of high school baseball, albeit at a high level in the second year, that's something that would just have to come with repetition more so than raw talent.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it did not, did not jump here, but absolutely. I think, and that's why for me, one, there's no risk in signing because it goes against your, your draft stuff. It, it, so it's no big deal. You, you can probably sign him for not a whole lot. And, man, I would just get him in there and get him swings, get him swings, get him swings. Try to get him caught up as much as possible and just see what you got because because it's there and the talent's there. But it's just a matter of him getting those at-bats, man, and and he's missed 12 years of it. And he's got to catch 12 years up. But you know what? Sometimes, you know what to think about? It. Sometimes he also didn't have 12 years to build bad habits on it. So, you know, some guys get stuck at twenty nine and maybe for him he's just hitting a stride.
1: Yeah. I was just gonna ask, you know, since the, the Broncos named uh Trevor Simeon their starting quarterback, you know, he's not a name that inspires a lot of confidence. Has this given you ideas that maybe you wanna give that a shot? I mean I know you've got the arm strength to, like <laughs> <pretty> <laughs> <good. Yeah.
3: laughs> dude if I try when I try to throw a football, I can throw a football pretty good, like distance wise, but like I can't throw a spiral to save my life. It's so horrible. But no, not, I got no sense. I know what I'm good at. Let me just stick to that.
0: All right. Well, David has a plane to catch. Possibly may or may not be to Tim Tebow's tryout. He can't confirm. But I'm glad that uh, you were able to join us and people listening now know how to get Tim Tebow out if they ever face him in a <laughs> professional baseball game, which... They might, if they just want to announce that they are now a professional baseball player, maybe 15, 20 teams will show up to the tryout. It worked for Tim Tebow. So thanks uh, <laughs> Thanks again, David.
3: Yeah, no problem. No, thanks for having me on. And Hey, guys, I, I started in this thing. I thought I, I was as skeptical as anybody, but I'm telling you what, if you watch him for five minutes, you're going you're to walk away. If you, if you only looked at him and didn't know his name, but didn't know he was 29 and just thought of him as a college junior. You'd be like, dude, he's a top five, top ten pick, without a doubt, without a doubt. Just you would see it, and you're like, yeah, that's it, that's what you're looking for. And for me, it's when you, if you take the name away and take whatever else away from it, and just watch him, you're like, you see it.
0: All right, and any team that misses out on Tebow can always call you, right? You're available.
3: <laughs> I'm available, and I'm. I was actually considering rocking my uh, free agent shirt, you know, go walk around, go down, go talk to some scouts and wear a free agent shirt.
0: (laughs) All right. David's on Twitter at the DA53. He's also doing his own podcast, The Bullpen with DA. Thanks again for coming on. Have a good flight. Thank you, man. Thanks, guys. All right, that will do it for today. I hope you have satisfied your Sanchez curiosity, quenched your appetite for Tebow. Thank you to Josh and David for coming on, and thank you to you for listening. I'll be back with another episode of The Ringer MLB Show later this week.